2: Before we get into this episode of Small Doses Podcast, I want to let y'all know I'll be announcing the release of my comedy special coming soon, so just look out for that. But but what you can get into now is that we will be doing two free Smart, Funny, and Black live shows at the National Museum of African American Music in Nashville, Tennessee, as a part of their Juneteenth weekend of celebration. I am gifting these shows to the city of Nashville as an appreciation for the work that they did in getting the Tennessee Three back in place, but also just, I don't know if y'all seen, Tennessee went on one, okay? And so I'd be seeing all these rallies with all these right-wing folks and all these Proud Boy folks, etc. They always seem to gather. We need to be gathering too, and we need to be gathering on a higher vibration and in celebration and also in restoration, because all is fighting is tiring, okay? Now, if you can't make it to Tennessee, and also the tickets have already been signed up for, guess what? You can watch it. Yes. Both shows will be live streamed on YouTube Amanda Seals TV. 7 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Central on June 17th. You can watch Smart, Funny, and Black live from the comfort of your own home. So mark your calendars, subscribe to the YouTube Amanda Seals TV so that you can get the notification. And you should also subscribe because we are actively working to continue to give you all new content every day, okay? Every single day there's new content on Amanda Seals TV and I think that there's something to be said for the fact that it really is growing simply because you guys keep showing us that you want more. So, the more that you all subscribe, the more it says to us, okay, we need to make more content. And if that's not even enough, then y'all can go over to Patreon, alright? Patreon also, you're getting bonus content every week, not just from small doses, but also from the other stuff that we're doing, and just from yours truly, because I've been making the videos myself, okay? It's going up at Patreon. PatreonTheAmandaverse.com So there you go. You can live stream Smart, Funny, and Black on June 7 at YouTube Amanda Seals TV. You can also subscribe to YouTube Amanda Seals TV. That's free. And then you can come over to Patreon. For $5, you can subscribe to the amandaverse.com and get bonus content while supporting us right here and what we do. And if you're still like, I have all this money. I don't know what to do with it. Well, you can donate at smartfunnyandblack.com and that goes to supporting us doing free shows like Smart Funny and Black and also continuing to create content. All right. Now let's get into this episode. This is one of the great ones. Side effects. Of climate change with Celine Simon. Small dose. Self help from the hip. Small dose. We're talking that shit. Small doses. and Keeping it real. Small with Me and M seals. So funky. So <laughs> funky. So welcome to the Side Effects of Climate Change episode of Small Doses. You know, I was going to do this introduction after the interview because I felt like I was going to need to contextualize, you know, the guest and why she is who she is and the work they do. And honestly, y'all, she did such an incredible job of doing that in her own words throughout the episode that I don't feel like I would be doing it justice to sit up here and do it right now. So I will request of you all to just strap in, buckle up, and listen to this full episode of Side Effects of Climate Change with Celine Simon from Slow Factory. She will explain everything that you need to know that I was going to do right now that I'm going to actually just back off from. Enjoy. So we are here with Celine Simon of Slow Factory. And this is the first, I've been doing this podcast for five, five years. years. And I believe this is the first episode that we've ever done that's dedicated to like any type of environmental conversation. So I know you said you were nervous. Well, <laughs> no pressure <laughs> because you are my podcast introduction into this conversation around climate change. And one thing that I really appreciate about Slow Factory is that in you all's conversation around climate change, it's intersectional. You know, I think a lot of us, our knowledge of climate change comes from a very kind of just like scientific overview that doesn't really lock into the fact that like there's different cultural exchanges that cause certain types of climate change. There's also different cultural repercussions to climate change, right? Like there's different groups that receive the negative aspects of climate change far differently than others, etc. And in order to combat climate change, like we have to actually identify the people properly that are causing it. And I don't feel like that is enough of the conversation that's had. But when I Stumbled upon Slow Factory on Instagram and then further like looked at the site and just the amount of education that you all provide, it really said to me like, this is really how I can best understand climate change. And I know that there's other people that think like me that would feel the same. So I would love for you to even before we get into the climate change, (laughs) I would love for you to just tell me about Slow Factory and what made you even create this space.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, I can't wait to answer all these questions. These are, you know... (laughs) Frequently asked questions. Um, Slow Factory started out of, I would say, a lived experience. I'm Lebanese. I grew up in Lebanon, in between Lebanon and Canada. I had to flee there as a child refugee. And my experience has been shaped with my understanding of the world, basically, having survived the war, having escaped as a refugee, having had the opportunity to go back to my country, because that is not a given to everyone. And being in a country that is considered on the front lines of climate change. So in Lebanon, for instance, we don't have access to drinking water. We don't have fuel at all times. We, there's no electricity 24-7. There's no hot water. There's, you know, we live in a situation of sort of a post-apocalyptic situation that is caused because of the war. But up until this day, you know, we don't have the same access as countries in the global north. And because of this lived experience, I've always been someone who has looked at climate issues, not just as this is something far, far away that's never going to affect me, Mm. But this is happening right now to my people, to my country. We have a waste problem. We have a water problem. We have a soil problem. There's famine that we have lived throughout this lifetime, you know, and we're not the only country we are. One of many countries in the global South that is experiencing in real time the effects of climate change. And something that I've said is that climate change is already happening. It's happening at different times with different people. And so I created Slow Factory as a way to talk about climate, but without the lens of everything must be perfect. I eat organic food and I... (laughs) You know, don't consume anything, and I buy a $400 sweater, and I am perfect, you know, and it's not like that. (laughs) (laughs) I have an electric car, I compost. Exactly. I mean, yes, you could do all of these things. These are wonderful things. When you have access, you have responsibility. When you have privilege, you have responsibility. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about our shared responsibility for our planet for our people and the conversation about climate was also as you said amanda in the beginning you know kind of reserved for a certain group of people and excluded the idea of racial injustices or ethnicity or you know the rest of the world you know it revolved yeah. around perfect solutions for the 1% essentially and so we brought the idea that you no know, climate justice and human rights go hand in hand they must be discussed in the same way Mm -hmm. They are intersecting issues. They are compounding issues. Climate change impacts human rights. And human rights violations often are related to climate injustices. And we'll talk about that.
2: I mean, listen, (laughs) I feel like there's so much to start with. But first I want to ask, like, in the creation of Slow Factory, What did you think was going to be the reception versus what has happened? Like, is it the same or is it different? Like, give me some more insight
1: on that. In the beginning, you know, I was talking a lot about Slow Factory. The name is like, we need to slow down. Everything was fast, fast, fast. You know, in the food movement, there's the slow food movement. People understood it. It took a few years, but then people got it. They're like, oh yeah, slow food. I need to go to the farmer's market. I want to eat organic. What I put in my mouth is affecting my my yes. my, my well-being, you know? People right, get right, it. Right. But what we also did not get is that everything else around the world that is any product whether it's this microphone this computer this phone, our clothes everything is produced in a way that's polluting the planet that's hurting the planet and in the beginning i entered the conversations through fashion because fashion is sort of like the most democratic form of art. Like we are all wearing fashion, expressing ourselves with fashion, and we can't walk naked. In most countries, it's illegal. So we are interacting (laughs) with something that is polluting the planet, whether we are aware of it or not. And particularly fashion, because it is an industry that is extremely polluting because of the amount of items it produces. And then because of that, there is an immense amount of waste that is created because of it. And so the conversation started from the fashion angle, if you will, because I thought, you know, fashion creates culture and culture creates action. And we can really move mountains as people start to understand climate from this angle, like something that's so personal to them. And but so do course, you feel like people, oh, there you go. <laughs> no, but I was just going to say, but of course, when I started in 2012, people were like, what are you talking about? Fashion is fun. Fashion is frivolous. Fashion is great. It's, it has nothing to do with climate. And another question we get often is, what does race have to do with climate? Both questions are often, you know? So <laughs> so what does race have to do with climate?
2: Perfect. Per- perfect You're doing this interview sorry. for me. Uh, what yes. does race... Because listen, <laughs> well, let me just tell you, before you even go. So in 2014... I was invited by this group, the hip hop caucus to go on what was called the toxic tour. And so it was me and this singer Raheem Devon and this rapper D one. And we basically went to different cities around the nation and learned about the ways in which pollution, environmental, like hazardous waste factories were basically always situated next to low income, black and brown communities. And The ways in which these were like adversely affecting the people in these communities in ways that they were not affecting anyone else and that no one was really paying attention to it. And so, like, for instance, like we were in Virginia and we went to like an elementary school and we were like, oh, what's this black stuff on the ground? They're like, that's coal. That's coal from that coal plant or whatever that's like right there and so these kids are playing and the coal is literally visible on their playground then we went to Detroit and they were like this is an incinerator in the middle of a neighborhood there's like a garbage waste incinerator and you're like what is that smell what does that smell like this is the garbage they're burning garbage and the people of that city were also like the same people who had high rates of asthma, right? Like, had high rates of, you know, different breathing conditions. Then we went to DC. And so, like, we went all around the nation and they called it a toxic tour because it was the first time that any of us had ever really had these two things aligned with each other, like racial injustice and climate change and like environmental. What's the sort of what I'm looking for?
1: Environmental Environmental injustices.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. And we ended up like talking with like different mayors, you know, and different organizers that were on the ground working against this. But I just feel like, Celine, so many people who really do care about like social injustice and who really do care about like black people and advocating for the poor, etc. This element doesn't make its way into the conversation. So I'd love to hear from you. What does race have to do with environmental injustice?
1: (laughs) You have kind of answered it because this toxic tour is everything, honestly. Um, (laughs) But I would go back to asking, how did we get here, right? Like, how did we make pollution legal? How did we make Mm. it so that polluting, literally, I mean, if you toss something out of the car window, you may get a fine, but the government tossing all of our garbage on occupied land, seized land from indigenous people Digging a hole inside of land like that is often sacred land and tossing all of our garbage into that land is actually legal, like pollution is legal if you think of it. And then that's one. Who created that system that allowed for things to be created in such a linear way? Nature is cyclical. There's no waste in nature. It doesn't even exist. This concept of waste is a white construct, if you will. It's like white supremacy created waste, let me tell you, because the way that we have created these linear systems are creating, producing, consuming rapidly, tossing into the garbage. And it's a hot potato syndrome. The whole thing about waste is like, it's not my fault. It's not, I recycled it. It's not my fault. And it's being tossed, 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 tossed. And then it ends in these holes in the ground, leaching methane into the atmosphere, creating extra pollution, if you will. And Mm -hmm. all of these things are created in a way that are legal, that are created in in a system that is looking at nature as a commodity, looking at all of the resources around us as a commodity. And so why does race have to do anything with climate justice is because the communities that are the most impacted by the climate injustices that are designed to extract, to pollute, All of these things are created and the ways in which that we are discarding of the waste are done in communities of color, whether they are in the United States or around the world. For instance, if you were to trace back a donated item of clothing from, let's say, New York City, in New York City, we have about 200,000 tons of textile waste per year that is being tossed And okay, there's a secondhand market, but the secondhand market goes really, really fast. Like there's about two, three weeks on the floor in any, uh, you know, secondhand store. And then very quickly it gets tossed into these big container ships and those clothes end up on the shores of Ghana and they end up on the shores of Pakistan. They end up on the shores in Vietnam and they clog up these systems around the world in the global South. And we are tossing our garbage back into the global South. So... That is why it has something to do with race. In fact, it has all to do with race from a philosophical understanding about how do we create that much pollution, what's being legalized, for instance, fossil fuel extracting from the earth. Right now, they are about to be drilling in Alaska. We are raising awareness about stopping willow in Alaska. There's been a train collision in East Palestine, Ohio, where a lot of chemicals were leached into the air, into the earth, into the soil and into the water, rendering the water undrinkable. Yet you see people drinking water, pretending that it's fine. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) all of these things, I mean, it's a complicated answer. I, I don't know if I made any sense, but the thing is this, is that Where are we putting these garbages? Where are we putting the incinerators? Where are we tossing these chemical components into the ground? Yeah, Yeah, and waste are in neighborhoods that are oftentimes black and brown neighborhoods. The land that they are seizing is indigenous land. We are right now on stolen land and the government is seizing indigenous land to toss additional garbage. I don't want to be sounding like doom and gloom, but I'm just trying to explain the situation. And often you'll hear folks like me We're alarmed. There's a panic in our voice. You know, we're very passionate because what's happening is extremely violating. It's violating to the earth and it's violating to each other as humans. And the folks that are the most affected are frontline communities. And often they are either people in the global South or people here in the United States that are purposefully discarded and discredited communities, purposefully and systemically erased communities and oppressed communities, you know, and it's not just by chance. It's designed this way. When you say the global
2: South, I just want my listeners to be able to fully understand you. Can you give a definition of like what falls into the global South?
1: Okay, okay, wait, wait. I have to look it up because I don't want to be saying something that- Is is it really just like below the equator? Okay, the global south is a term generally used to identify countries in the regions of Latin America- Africa, Asia, and Oceania. But why am I saying the global South and not third world countries is because Mm. we used to hear a lot of the third world countries, but that's not a term that is deeply empowering. We are part of the global South. And there's another term that a lot of people use is minorities, minorities. Guess what? We're not minorities. We're actually the global majority. We are far more, you know, massive than the people in power. If we all came together and organized, we can change things, right? Like, When you hear things like the third world countries or the minorities, it's so disempowering. It removes us of our agency, right? And it's also false. It's also false.
2: Yes. (laughs) And people believe it. Life is
0: full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesempta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection, you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
2: I'm not even frightened. Sometimes I legit forget to eat. And when that happens, I'm not in the mood to try and like figure out what I'm going to cook. Nah. And I also know there's people who simply cook better than me and I can get right to them on DoorDash. yes. That's right. Listen, DoorDash has saved your girl so many times. And if you're really bad at it, you can get you a Dash Pass, and that can get you a discount on the DoorDashing that you're doing. So don't be like me. Don't let yourself go the whole day and then realize, oh, my gosh, that's why I'm cranky, because I haven't eaten anything. No. Tap into DoorDash and get you some nutrients in your system. All right? DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. DoorDash, your door to more. Must be 21 or older to order alcohol. Drink responsibly. Alcohol available only in select markets. What are some lies that we're being told about climate change that you'd like to dispel? Because I feel like for the most part, the information that many of us receive about climate change is coming from people who actually don't really study climate change, right? Like we're getting it from a journalist who is maybe just like reporting on something they saw versus something they studied, right? Like not necessarily an investigative journalist. So I think that there's a lot of false truths. (laughs) That word is always interesting to me because it's presented to you as a truth, but ultimately it's like, This isn't the whole truth, you know, like when we're learning about these trains, we're learning about the drilling, even when we're seeing these earthquakes that are happening in such abundance in a certain part of the world, you ask yourself, what is causing this? Like what is creating all of these real extreme scenarios? And the information that's being spoken about it doesn't really seem to be the full picture. So I would love if you could just dispel some lies that you feel like have been fed to the people about climate change.
1: Yes. Okay. So many lies. Lord have Okay, let's begin. So because the conversation was oftentimes co-opted since the 70s by affluent white groups and very exclusionary of any people of color to enter the conversation, the conversation on climate or environmental justice relied on this idea of perfectionism and irony, right? If you're not perfect, then it's ironic for you to talk about climate change or this idea that countries in the global south third world countries, we're not going to use that term, are overpopulating and therefore polluting the planet. All of these things are are lies. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the main thing that was said in the 70s, 80s, 90s, kind of stuck around. I even heard it recently on a documentary on Netflix regarding climate. And I was like, oh, can we stop saying that? Because that is false. It's actually factually false. When you look at, there was a recent study by Oxfam, I'm going to pull it up. The richest 10% of the global population has been responsible for more than half of all carbon emissions. But that the makes poorest, perfect sense to me. Go ahead. And the poorest 50% were responsible for just 7% of emissions. Wow. So this ranks injustice and inequality of this scale as like something that we're not talking about, you know? So I will send you this article. Actually, we can maybe link to this article. This is an old article from 2020. But this is a good place to start on all things regarding who is polluting the most and is overpopulation even a conversation when it comes to climate injustice. So that's one. Well, to me, it's like
2: if you have the most, you would then create the most waste. Like that just feels like a basic math situation to me. (laughs) Like, you know, like if you have two cars... Versus someone who has no car, you are now creating emissions from two vehicles and this person doesn't even have anything to create emissions from. If you have a jet, if you have a private jet and this person does not even have money for the bus... You are going to be creating far more of a carbon footprint than somebody who doesn't even have access to public transportation. And I mean, when they show you after the Super Bowl how many private jets leave at one time after the Super Bowl, it's unbelievable that we still have an ozone layer or any level of like. Clean water, because the amount of emissions that come from a private jet that are going into the atmosphere, into our clouds, etc. It's like beyond my scope of comprehension. And I have to say that only because private jets for a lot of people is like the mark of like you made it, you made it. And I have told you like there are so many people in my life who've been like, man, you need to get a private jet. And I'm like, first of all, I can't afford a private jet. So let's start there. <laughs> I can't afford a private jet, but also like. That's not something I want because it's such a very clear, like they have already identified in a very clear way that like possession of this thing is such an increased carbon footprint that there's no way around it that you can mentally say is okay. Like it in its existence is just causing the whole issue of climate change to go up by you just possessing it. So just so you all know, if you ever see me on my own private jet, know that I'm full of it.
1: All right. You said it so well. If you have the most access, by default, you are contributing the most to climate change because you are emitting the most carbon dioxide. I just sent you another link from UNEP, uh, United Nations Environmental Protection, just like which countries are emitting the most carbon dioxide. And of course, you're going to see China surpass United States. However per capita, China has less of carbon emissions per capita per people in their capita than Mm. the United States. So oftentimes like China, China is polluting. China is polluting more than the United States. But when you look at it per capita, like how much they're emitting carbon dioxide versus how many people there are in China, then the United States emits more, you know, like per capita per people. All right. That's one of them. That's one of them. Okay, that's so, one lie. I mean, there's so many myths. Maybe I should write a book about myths of climate change. But one of them, yes. another one that's, <laughs> that's common, is that if you are vegan, if you eat vegan food, you are by default contributing positively to climate change. So basically, yes. you are tell not tell us polluting. about this
2: one because the vegans okay.
1: <laughs> love to be like, you, you are a problem. <laughs> that tell being us about said, this one. I know. I have to preface. Any conversation about food, we have to understand that access to food in the United States is a privilege. Access to clean, healthy food in the United States and around the world, since we're talking to America over here. Is a privilege. We cannot be telling people what to eat if we are not also addressing the injustices that are purposefully designed for access for clean food, access for non GMO food, and, you know, for instance, concepts like food deserts in the United States, you know, being unable to access anything that is literally healthy for you. So I want to preface with that. Second, I want to preface with the idea that it is true that if our diet can incorporate more vegetables and less meat, we are contributing more positively to the ecosystem. Why? Because meat production creates a lot of methane and pollutes the planet, period. Now, that being said, eating meat or not eating meat does not change the game at scale because if you are eating vegan food, not buying anything new ever in your life, you alone And even if we multiplied you by 8 billion people, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't reduce carbon emissions by the amount that we need in order for us to diminish the overheating of the planet. It doesn't add up, okay? What adds up is... Change at scale, for instance, it's a company the size of McDonald's saying we are no longer going to be producing foods that are using that many chemicals in the supply chain. We are going to invest in regenerative agriculture at scale. I'm not saying that's going to solve everything, but their reduction of the carbon right. emission is They're going to enough. allow us to have a massive reduction. Companies that are for instance going to divert from fossil fuel. That is the main thing that we need to be discussing is how do we invest in regenerative renewable energy models right so all these things you know there's a lot of panic that falls on the shoulders of the citizen that are already trying to make ends meet they're trying to feed their kids something that's the best that they can find etc and it's like you are polluting you know you if you stopped eating and stopped buying and stopped doing all of these things we would be in a better place it's not going to add up Okay, it's just not going to add up. What we need is systemic change. We need change on a governmental level, on an industry level. And that is where we need to focus our activism, our advocacy, our strategies the most, because this is where we're going to see the biggest results.
2: When you talk about
1: renewable
2: energy options, like what are those in a real way? Because I feel like when we talk about renewable energy, all anyone can think about is electric cars. (laughs) And then we find out that in order for electric cars to even function, they got to dig up the Congo and go in this African country that's already been completely just colonized and stripped of its resources, et cetera, et cetera. And now in the name of goodness, it's like, okay, well, we're going to take these resources from your space again and also harm the people who are there. Right. Because they always it's always kids and Folks who don't have access that end up doing this work because they need some type of money. So, like, what is like an actual renewable energy that you feel like, or some examples that you feel like we should know about?
1: This is a great question. So, okay. There are so many myths about sustainability. One is that it's one solution fits all. If we all do one thing, such as becoming all of us vegan, that being said, there is a disclaimer I want to say. If you want to be vegan for your health reasons, for the planet, do it. If you want to live better, do it. But if you want to live better in order for you to feel superior to other people, then you're not the solution. I'm sorry. You're not. Okay. So that's one. You heard that, vegans? Cut it out. (laughs) I mean, like, if you want to do something that is good for the planet, good for others, and it makes you feel entitled, makes you feel superior is the word, please check yourself and check your relationship to white supremacy, to colonialism, your internalized colonialism, like all of this that needs to be dismantled. Now, sustainability is a culture, okay? Why do I say it's a culture? Because it's our lifestyle. It's the way that we live, the way that we relate to ourselves, to each other, the way that we relate to nature. You know, in some of our cultures, and especially indigenous cultures, and also cultures that come from the global South, is that we look at nature as God. Okay, like nature to us is like God, okay? There's a lot of words in Arabic that really refers to nature as God. And when something magnificent in nature happens, we literally say subhanAllah, like it's God, you know? And so when we start seeing relationships like origin stories or the way that we see the world where nature is not seen as a commodity, where, as you said, you got to go dig up the Congo to get those minerals so that you can have an electric car in the global North in America, that is not sustainable. It's not right. part of a culture that looks at at each other or the relationship we have with nature as a sacred relationship. So that being said, there is not one solution for renewable energies that is the solution. There are multiple solutions. Any solution that we're going to be presenting needs to be looking at human rights, okay? So let's say in the concept of an electric car, what are the human repercussions for us to extract these minerals in order for us to all have access to electric cars? Can we build models around the need for this resource that are regenerative? Can we build models that are community focused? community-centered? The answer is yes, but capitalism has it so that Ah. it's not regarded as a solution. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, whatever. These people, we don't care about them. And that's the problem. It's like there are multiple solutions and we need to look at all of these solutions as viable solutions, but it's the models in which they are being extracted or created that are harmful models. They are extractive models. And it goes back to the first thing that I told you about. It's about race. It's about white supremacy. It's because the way in which that we are designing and extracting from the land, it's literally legalized and it's popularized as this is just how we got to survive on this planet, where it's not. Absolutely not. I mean, it's still colonialism, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's green colonialism. There's also another term that is being popularized, which is waste colonialism, which is the idea of throwing global north's waste into global south countries, such as our fabric, our items of clothing, our electronics. Okay, they are the most massive landfills of electronics where folks live in these landfills. And they burn the electronics to extract the gold and the precious metals from our phones that somehow landed in these uh, landfills. And it is extremely toxic because did you know that in these phones, there's gold, there's precious metals, there's precious stones in these phones instead of recycling them or upcycling them or repairing them? Because I don't know if you know, but like the way that these phones are designed and IPed and there is a crackdown on repair shops. That's another topic for another day. It's just basically it's capitalism, exactly what you said. And the way that in which we've designed the culture to be an extractive culture, a culture that promotes extraction over compassion, over equity, over education. And maybe we can talk about education because in order for us to live in a better, more sustainable, equitable society, there needs to be better ways for us to educate ourselves about these things, right? That don't come from a doom and gloom documentary that makes you feel like it's all your fault. It makes you feel like it's not only not all your fault, but it also makes you feel like
2: there really is no way out. And I think that that narrative has been created to support the continuance of corporations being able to do whatever they want. So it's basically like, well, there's no way to fix this, y'all. So we might as well just keep doing what we're doing and enjoy it while we can, because this is really just it. I mean, it really like is confusing to me when I see, particularly in America, like Republican directives that are very anti-climate change, like very anti-waste management, et cetera, et cetera. But yet they're like, but have more babies, have more babies. I'm just like, but that's counterintuitive. Like you're, you're making more children for an earth that you're killing. I don't understand that, but I don't, I'm trying to make something rational, but it's all connected. It's
1: all interdependent and it's all connected. So the conversation on family planning or access to birth control or access to abortion is absolutely connected to climate change. I mean, everything is connected to climate change because we live in the climate right like i mean we live on earth there's no way we can separate ourselves from earth actually we are earth when we say go walk in nature you are nature like you yourself are nature <laughs> you know go walk in nature i love go that. walk in i'm trying my accent you know no that was good that was good <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You're so right. yes, I mean, educating women and girls falls number, I feel like it's five or, or eight or whatever, according to the project drawdown as one of the most efficient ways to reducing carbon emission, educating women and girls. And primarily we're talking about educating women and girls for family planning, access to reproductive health <laughs> yeah. that is literally health. It's literally our health. And so, again, it goes into this idea that being forced to make more children, being forced to basically in the United States, having no access to healthcare at all whatsoever. I mean, maybe you have access, but you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. Those things are human rights violation, period. Mm-hmm. Like in the United States, the richest country in the world, we are literally witnessing human rights violation in this country, on the ways in which we don't have access to health in the ways in which we have a war against education currently and mm, yes. the ways in which our water is being polluted. It's not just in East Palestine, Ohio. It's not just in Flint, Michigan. It's in everybody's water. Jackson,
2: Mississippi. I mean, my man was telling me the other day that he read, they say there's no more clean rainwater available like in the world because ultimately The precipitation process is involving water that has all been contaminated in some shape, way or form. And I was like, damn.
1: Yep. There is uh, a lot of systems uh, try to capture gray water, rainwater and then purify it. I mean, there are ways. There are ways. We have the solutions. The solutions exist. You know, what doesn't exist yet is the Hmm. will in which we want to implement these solutions because they require a financial investment. And the ways in which we have designed this, I mean, not we, but the white man has designed this whole system of extraction and pollution is out of profit, out of gain for a very small group of people at the end of the day, at the expense of all of us. That's why we are the global majority. All of us together are the global majority. You know, if we came together, we literally can. I sound like a kid who's eight years old, but like that's what I am deep down. We absolutely can. We all are. (laughs) Yes.
0: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesempta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
2: I'm not even frightened. Sometimes I legit forget to eat. And when that happens, I'm not in the mood to try and like figure out what I'm going to cook. Nah. And I also know there's people who simply cook better than me and I can get right to them On DoorDash. Yes, that's right. Listen, DoorDash has saved your girl so many times. And if you're really about it, you can get you a Dash Pass and that can get you a discount on the DoorDashing that you're doing. So don't be like me. Don't let yourself go the whole day and then realize, oh my gosh, that's why I'm cranky because I haven't eaten anything. No, tap into DoorDash and get you some nutrients in your system. All right. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. DoorDash, your door to more. Must be 21 or older to order alcohol. Drink responsibly. Alcohol available only in select markets. There's such a movement in America to keep folks from realizing that they are a part of a global experience, right? Like, In America, I can tell you as someone who grew up here, spent my entire life here, but is the daughter of an immigrant, like there was always just this blinders on very myopic view of our existence. And it's as if we are on an island in our own self, even though we are literally on a continent with other countries. But it was always basically positioned as if like everywhere else is everywhere else, but we are the sun. And everything is like orbiting us. And it's not the case. And I think when a lot of people are finding themselves getting more informed around climate change, they come to understand that that is true in the case of how we are affecting the climate in a negative way. We are the sun in that regard. Like we are the center of that universe because we cause the most havoc. And I know that when we look at like, okay, well, what about China? What about China? I think what we lack here also is a sense of community around the ways in which we can be a change to that. Like I've seen documentaries around like how there are Chinese communities who have like made it their business to like figure out how to decrease their waste, right? Like, and it caused the whole community to have to be a part of it. The whole community had to commit to it, but they were able to like reduce their waste in such a significant fashion that it allowed them to be able to have access to other things. But here we are so grounded as an American culture in individualism and in the pursuit of a capital greatness that we can't, I feel like a lot of us can't consider success outside of the concept of capitalism. So anything that would involve us having to put our energy to it becomes irrelevant, right? And so like when you're talking, I'm, I'm just, you're passionate about this It's so palpable, but I understand it from what you said in the beginning. You grew up in a place that is already experiencing the results of this. So your passion makes perfect sense. I fear that this nation will not gain that passion until we are in the same position as a Lebanon or other places in the global south that are already dealing with the repercussions of this. Do you agree or disagree?
1: I mean, the United States already is experiencing this. You know, like look at the storms in LA. Look at what's going on in Flint, Michigan. There were six leaks in my house, Celine. Six!
2: (laughs) Because (laughs) they've never had rain like this. And so I asked the contractor, I hate to, wait, let me just say this. Because I lived in Florida, in Orlando, Florida, for 10 years of my life, from eight to 18, okay? My mother still lives there in the same house since 1989. It rains. Every single day, we have never had a leak. 1989, we have never had a leak. Okay. And that house costs a fraction of this shit I'm in. Okay. <laughs> now, we're having monsoons in California. Where, and when I say monsoon, I mean because it is raining at a high density for like a, a week and a half. Right. And I know you're probably, some of y'all are like, why are you complaining? Didn't y'all have a drought the other day? Wasn't y'all in a drought? Why are you complaining? And it's like, I'm not complaining, but what I'm saying is we're not even prepared for it. Like, our houses are not built for that, right? Our homes are not built for that. Our streets are not built for that. Like, nothing is built for that here. So we're getting flooding. We're seeing that, like, the houseless community, where are they going to live? There's so many houseless people that come to California because it doesn't rain. Like, there. so when you talk about that, like... You're right. And I'm sitting here like, you know, we're not going to have passion, but now I have passion. But a lot of people
1: have passion. A lot of people have. That's (laughs) what I was going to get to is that you are already experiencing it. Like before that, do you do you remember the fires? I'm sure you do. But like, I'm just talking to your audience, like the fires in LA, you know, I mean, listen, every year, every year, we're going to get more and more of these climate intense disasters. And what I'm trying to say here is that No, the passion is there. And oftentimes, let me tell you, it's people of the global majority, black, brown, indigenous, immigrant communities that are the most aware and the most passionate and the most giving and the most involved in this conversation about climate change. But in the media, you're always going to see a white scientist or a white lady telling you that you have to go, you know, consume less, make less babies and buy expensive items in order for you to live a sustainable life. You know, it's not how it is. It's not like that. In fact, our mothers and our fathers, our grandmothers, our grandfathers, they were living a sustainable life long before sustainability was even a word, long before environmental justice even became a concept because our cultures, and that's why I'm going to go back to sustainability is a culture, our cultures, understand on a visceral level that we are nature and nature is God and we are connected to this earth, whether we want it or not, we came from this earth and to this earth we will go back to. And that is just that. And we understand it on a cultural level. So therefore, culturally, we don't extract from it. We don't treat it like a foreign object, like a rocked that's floating in space that we just somehow landed onto ready to colonize and extract it even the word colonize like they're using this word to even talk about them landing on Mars some people want to go colonize Mars right now okay (laughs) they want they're looking at other planets to colonize and to extract precious minerals and precious stones for them to continue life on Earth in the way that business as usual I mean this is a disease this is not the way it is I mean it's not sustainable (laughs) No, this is a disease. You know,
2: when you talk about sustainability as a culture, that's a concept I don't think I ever really considered because it's so true. Like if you live on an island, so like my mother's from Grenada, right? In Grenada, by nature of the fact that it's an island, you have to live differently because there's only so many places where the waste can go. Right. And there's only so many systems to remove waste. Right. So like when you purchase food, like you purchase just enough food for you to eat, like it's very rare that people are like overbuying. Right. Like they go to market every day. Like my mom goes to Publix every day, y'all. And I have never really fully understood it until I started to realize like, oh, because if you're growing up on an island, you're going to get your food for the day because you don't even have the room to store all of this excess and you don't have the space for the waste first so of all just, you don't
1: have a big fridge you don't have it That's big what I mean you don't if have a big you fridge. Have a fridge if you have a fridge if you have a fridge you have a fridge you have a, fridge. You have a small fridge That is one thing also. It's like all the things you buy and you put in your fridge and then you end up tossing into the garbage and you keep it wrapped up in the plastic that it came in. A very rotten cauliflower, you know, like the box of strawberries that you never actually ate that are all GMO strawberries anyway. Toss it into the garbage, you know, I mean... So there's a couple of things. Sustainability is a culture. Environmental justice is all about understanding it on a cultural level. We have a program at Slow Factory that's called Landfills as Museums. So we take people to the landfills (laughs) and they walk on piles and piles of garbage. And we oftentimes take designers, we take stakeholders, we take company owners to the landfills and we have them like basically hike on mountains of waste And they see their everyday objects. They see their yogurts and they see their coffee cups and they see their bras and their underwear. They see their shoes and their clothes. They see everything they've used that day. And oftentimes they cry. And Mm -hmm. we guide them through this exploration, a bit like climate doulas, you know, like we're we're, we're walking them through the pain of what it feels like to experience the insanity of our culture. Okay. And then we walk and walk and walk, and then we take them into another space where they kind of process. And there is literally a cognitive shift, something that changes in the way that they start understanding the world, seeing the world, understanding their place in the world, their place versus them and the waste. And what is waste? Nothing but a new resource that we just didn't utilize. Right? And so... After that program, we talk about waste-led design, using waste as a new resource, whether it's for composting, that's a very clear concept, just take your scraps, put them in the soil, that's all the soil wants. But also textile waste, also plastic waste, you know, and all of that. And so it's a very deep exploration that's almost like a spiritual exploration, if you will, because people start crying when they see all this, when they're faced with this. And then we survey them before they go. And we're like, we're asked them, what does waste mm. make you feel like? What does landfills make you feel like? And everyone's like, shameful, angry. I hate it. Terrible. Guilty. <laughs> and then we survey them after they've experienced it. And they say, hopeful, enlightened, oh. curious. They say, inspired. Because mm. once you start looking at it from this angle, that it's not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's about expanding our imagination. It's about education, it's about culture, And that's what we invest in at Slow Factory. We deeply invest in education, access to free education. We have a program called Open EDU, and it's literally the slogan is what school didn't teach you, what school won't teach you. Because what school doesn't teach you about history, doesn't teach you about colonialism, doesn't teach you about extraction, doesn't teach you that pollution is actually legal, doesn't teach you that it's about racial injustices at the end of it. And so when we start talking about these things, we can also uncover the solutions and there are many, many solutions. It's not just one solution fits all, like cookie-cutter solution now. Let's all become robots, you know?
0: <laughs> Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta. And check out the details at Keysimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
2: I'm not even frightened. Sometimes I legit forget to eat. And when that happens, I'm not in the mood to try and like figure out what I'm going to cook. Nah. And I also know there's people who simply cook better than me. And I can get right to them on DoorDash. Yes, that's right. Listen, DoorDash has saved your girl so many times. And if you're really about it, you can get you a Dash Pass and that can get you a discount on the DoorDashing that you're doing. So don't be like me. Don't let yourself go the whole day and then realize, oh, my gosh, that's why I'm cranky, because I haven't eaten anything. No. Tap into DoorDash and get you some nutrients in your system. All right? DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. DoorDash, your door to more must be 21 or older to order alcohol. Drink responsibly. Alcohol available only in select markets. We're serving it. Well, there are many solutions and we have many followers that listen to this podcast and they have many questions yes. for you. So we're going to get into some questions and I just love how like people were really responsive to this topic. So this is one that I know a lot of us can relate to. Why are we always told to recycle if so many items aren't recyclable? And what are your thoughts on greenwashing?
1: Oh, what a good question. (laughs) Okay, so there is a new term that's called wish cycling, which is essentially... Putting something in your recycling bin and wishing it will get recycled. In the United <laughs> States, less than four percent of what you put in your recycled bin gets actually recycled. No! Less than four percent. I know it's very fucking sad. I'm sorry to swear, but it is very it's sad. <laughs> and so essentially I've never
2: known that.
1: Yes, it's sad. It's sad. It's it's I mean. You know, because at the end of the day, the plastics that they are using for any sorts of packaging, they're not recyclable. So you have that little sign that's like cryptic and it has a triangle with some arrows and has some numbers in it. Yeah, Look it up on the Internet and see if this plastic can be actually recyclable. And if not, contact the company and tell them, stop using this plastic. Stop using this type of plastic because it does not get recycled. And if it doesn't get recycled, it doesn't disintegrate. It doesn't decompose. It just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and turns into these microplastics. Now to the question, why do we recycle if we know it's not going to be recycled? I I don't know why we do these things. (laughs) I do these things. I wish cycle every single day. Every day. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) I don't have the answer. I mean, we did work with uh, waste management. we It's one of the largest waste companies in the world, and it's a, a US company. And we went into these spaces and we asked those questions and we did talk to the industry. I mean, we do everything we can as good troublemakers. At the end of the day, as I said in the beginning, it is a systemic solution that we need, systemic solution. So again, you recycling does not add up. It is about the industry stopping using these Toxic chemicals, such as plastic, and being aware that at the end of the day, maybe someone wants to put their thing into the compost bin. So figure out the materials that you need to use so that the thing goes back to the earth as food, not as poison. That's what we say at Slow Factory. So, you know, everything we make returns to the earth as either food or poison. And you have the choice to be creating things that go back to the earth as food through using materials that decompose, biodegrade. It's possible. And what is greenwashing? Greenwashing is when a company says, this is sustainable, the most sustainable lipstick, the most sustainable collection, the most sustainable everything, you know, and then you look into it and there's absolutely zero sustainability involved into it. It's made with forced labor. It's made with toxic materials. It's made with (sighs) toxic dyes that doesn't go back to the earth as food. There's no one to collect it in terms of, if you want to give it back, there's no give back, there's no take back, there's nothing. It's not sustainable. It's a lie. So that's greenwashing. It's a lie. It's
2: a that lie. is greenwashing. Well, we have some
1: more questions to ask our okay. great guest,
2: Celine Simon okay. from Slow Factory. But if you all want to get those questions, you got to follow us over there at our patreon theamandaverse.com. So come on over and join us, Seal Squad folks, and we are going to talk more about climate change. Y'all, if you did not go pay your $5 to listen to the Patreon subscriber special section of questions, I, I'm telling you, you need to have done that because when I tell you Selena's is the truth and low key a comedian, but <laughs> <laughs> listen, the like, I just do the whoa for you because I need y'all to go hear her responses to some of these questions. You know, we asked hey, there's a perception that black and brown people don't recycle or care about climate change. Is this true? And I just need y'all to go. And if you, even if you just pay your $5 for one month, just so you can hear the response, I need you to do it. Because this conversation here was one that I was just like, I want to have because I follow you for a while. I follow Soul Factory, I follow you. And when I saw your you did a post about the earthquakes that were happening in Syria and Turkey, and I reposted it, and just the the language that you put with it was very impactful to me because you talked about just the fact that, like, these communities are so susceptible beyond just, like, their location on the globe, but for multiple reasons, and you spoke to just the fact that, like, a lot of people would not consider that, right? And I said, well, I want to know more about this person, so I reached out for this interview, and I just am... <laughs> I just am so... I'm very rarely impressed. <laughs> like, I'm very rarely, like, uh, impressed is not the word I wanted to say. I'm very rarely, like, intrigued. And you're just the bomb. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just a fascinating person. And I feel like that's the, that's naturally what ends up taking what it takes to, like, be able to lead these, these forces. So make sure you go and go to the Amandaverse Y'all and check out what Celine was saying that you missed. The last dose. Well, you're incredible and I feel like I'm special because I know I put you on to a lot of my people in my audience and they're like, Amanda, I had never heard of Celine. Well, now, you know. All right? And right. You're I really amazing, you Amanda.
1: All. We love you at Slow Factory. When I told my team, they were like, ah! we you yeah. were freaking out. We were like, oh, my God. But when the book
2: comes out, you have to come back. When the book comes out, you have to come back so that we can promote the book and we can make sure that everybody knows about the book. And I wish you the most strength and support in moving forward. The thing about it is a lot of people don't know their purpose and a lot of people don't know why they're here. So they are dealing with something else in their process. But once you do know those things, there is a different way that you interact with these times where you're knocked down. There is a different way that you interact with pain. There's a different way that you interact with trauma, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still impactful, you know, that it's still a mud pit that you got to wade through to get out of. So I wish you the best in that process. I and best. I hope that you're surrounded with support and kindness and compassion in that process. Because when you show up like someone like you does, people think that you don't need kindness and support. They think you've got it together. They think, oh, she's good. She doesn't need, yeah, she's figured it out. And the reality is, is that all of us need all of that. So thank you so much for taking time Thank you, Amanda.
1: Thank you for your platform. Thank you for noticing what we do. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for speaking truth to power every single day. Thank you for your work. We're so grateful for you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. The feeling is mutual. So y'all know what to do. Follow Slow Factory (laughs) and follow Celine on Instagram. And also make sure to go to their website and get involved. And get you some open education. It's free. We love (laughs) free because free is sustainable. All right, y'all. Thank you. Thank you.